and unleashed a banshee cry that awoke and unnerved not only the city of Leeds and all of Yorkshire, but parts of Lancashire as well. In the days that followed, I grew to understand Dad's whiskers and specks, and in further weeks actually came to love them. The incident was not, however, my only brush with fear. In fact, my earliest memory is one of sheer unqualified terror. One that, once again, led to a bout of uncontrollable wailing. Where we lived, there was a ginnel, which, to you heathens who are not from the north, is a thin passageway between buildings. Anyway, this particular ginnel led from the end of our cul-de-sac to the shops on the main road. Mum pushed me there in my pram, the type that can only be described as a Thames barge with cartwheels attached beneath a hood the size of a bus shelter. Propelling this titanic brute must have taken a gargantuan effort on the part of my mother, she being a mere five foot one inch tall. A gust of wind regularly sent her into orbit and she was often captured on radar by air traffic control. On the day currently under consideration, we somehow arrived at the shops without taking to the air, and she parked me outside a shop and went in to buy groceries a practice which would rarely be undertaken nowadays, but then was commonplace. At that moment, I recall looking up out of my pram and seeing a corrugated fence to my right. This alarmed me to the point of inducing another shrieking fit, and even though I was probably only a couple of months old when the corrugated fence incident took place, I can remember it like it was yesterday. When I was one year old, Mum left Dad in charge of me while she went off shopping. It was the first time my dad had been allowed to look after me, and he was brimming with confidence, a confidence that would be shattered by the end of the day. It was a beautiful morning and we played in the garden, me on my new horse-headed tricycle, my dad prompting me to turn in circles until he eventually corralled me into the delphiniums. What fun we had! However, tired by our exertions, it was soon time to go back indoors for some lunch. On the way back, I decided, just for fun, to trip and slam my face into the back door step, busting my lip in the most dramatic style. There was blood everywhere. Dad swept me up and ran a bath to wash away the gore so he could inspect the damage more clearly. I was plunged into the water, and he began to gently mop my blood-stained mug. This I took great offence to, and in protest decided it would be a good idea to nut the taps using both my forehead and my eyebrows. The bath became a scarlet trough, and my tattered face now resembled that of Charles Lawton in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I still have the scars. By the time Mum returned, I'd been thoroughly cleansed and sterilised, all my wounds swathed in lint and plaster. I looked like an American quilt. Of course, this wasn't my dad's fault, and Mum understood that, but for me it was the beginning of a life of falling over things, and out of things, and off things. In fact, if I could go out of my way to stumble, plummet, or collide with anything, I would. Once, when I was three years old, I was playing on a patch of waste ground when I began to taunt a small terrier who proceeded to attack me, biting me on the hand. 
Again, I still have the scars. Another time I was playing at my friend John Baker's house when he amusingly decided to lock me in his toy trunk until I begged for mercy. When I got out, he hurled a piece of broken glass at me which cut my hand. Yet again, I still have the scars. Perhaps these not-so-tragic events have been a catalyst, but timidity in varying degrees has followed me throughout my years. Even now, I spring out of my chair if a squirrel leaps onto my face whilst I'm watching television. I react in much the same spineless way if a kraken rises from the depths, attacks my vessel, and hurls me into the maelstrom. Over the years, I've managed to control and quell this anxiety and transform it into a puffed-up boldness, combined with a psychological mindset that renders any brittleness invisible. If you're of a similar disposition, you might like to try the following methods yourself. For instance, should you have a worrisome work colleague who regularly attacks you with a mallet, stand your ground and stare at him, her, with crossed eyes, and hum a single low note. Mm. Thus giving them the impression that you are rather otherworldly and mysterious, and should therefore be given a wide berth. I've employed this method on numerous occasions with almost total success. The only time it failed was when I was attacked by a Cockney Barrow boy for the crime of being from the North, and was roundly thrashed whilst I stood humming at him with bug eyes. Happily, that traumatic event falls just outside this book's chronological remit. Other survival methods I can vouch for include The Twist where a dance is used as a distraction to foil your opponent. Any dance will do, but a casual, informal and not-too-vigorous one will probably work the best. This technique can also be used to break the ice and make friends in tricky social situations, perhaps at a supermarket checkout or a clay pigeon shoot. Whilst other children who were being bullied at school would cower up against the walls pathetically uttering things like Not the face! My dad's a policeman! Or do you want money? With one leg partially raised, presumably as an involuntary movement to guard the genitals and so secure the survival of future timorous weaklings, I could be seen stood in the middle of a playing field, gently swaying to a non-existent beat, cock-eyed and droning whilst bullies walked away from me, shaking their heads in confused despair. On the 11th of October 1962, Mum presented me with a sibling, Lois Elizabeth Moyer. She took after my father with dark hair and brown eyes, while I, with fair hair and blue eyes, resembled my mother. The other principal difference was that I was born in St. Jimmy's, whilst Lois was delivered in the coal shed. There was a mighty gale blowing, and Mum had gone outside to collect some fuel. She hauled open the door of the coal shed and entered, stooping to gather the tinder. At that moment, a potent gust raged through the garden, slamming the door shut and knocking her into the sooty pile. A blood-curdling cry rang out from within the coal chamber, alerting Dad, who was indoors at his repast. He rose from his plate, a look of confused apprehension on his face and a pork sausage dangling from his mouth. He looked like Winston Churchill with piles. 
Hurling his chair across the room, narrowly missing a visiting chaplain, he sped into the garden to find the source of the cry. Throwing the shed door open, he was confronted by the disturbing image of my mother's supine form blackened from thrashing about on the coals. What is the meaning of this outburst? he bellowed imperiously, the sausage still in its earlier position. I was dining in the presence of a visiting chaplain when I heard a distant cry, one of anguish, even despair, and now I discover it is you, my wife, languishing upon the coal pile. Offer me an understanding of this confused scene, woman. I'm in the throes of childbirth, husband. I fear the child comes. Make preparations instantly. There is no time to spare. Fetch hot water. Lay down your cloak here on the damp coals and prepare to deliver the infant forthwith, as I am in great and plain anxiety. Father drew the waters and lay down his cloak, and the child was born. A beautiful black-haired girl, safely delivered in the dark shelter. She was named right there upon the coals, Lois after our Alaskan aunt, and Elizabeth after our good Queen Bess. Of course, my parents didn't really speak in this absurd Milton-esque way, and my sister wasn't born in a coal shed. But that's the way I choose to imagine the scene, so let that be the end of it. She was born at home, though. In the larder. My mother's mother was Lillian Lee. She was married to Simeon Lee, who had died in 1949, being 30 years older than Lillian. It was later revealed that he'd married before, had three sons, and abandoned them all before bigamously marrying my grandmother. Their early life.